Open your Bibles with me to two passages. Get uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and Psalm 90. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and Psalm 90. Can you believe that 2013 is gone? It's unbelievable. It, it feels like it just started. I guess when you get to have you know the gray and the beard and all of that, that the years just go by faster and faster. But what I think is, is a valuable thing for us to do is this morning we're going to look back. We're going to look back at the last year. And then next week we're going to start looking ahead. Tonight, I hope that you'll be here tonight at 530. I'm going to, we're going to talk about the top news stories of 2013, the Christian view of what happened in the world in 2013. Now, if we, if we did all of the stories, we'd be here for a while. But I have two or three that I want to talk about. I want to talk about uh, Nelson Mandela, a Christian view of who he was. And I think especially for all of the kids who attend public school, it'd be really useful for you to hear about who Mandela really was. And uh, we're going to... Last Sunday was the 100th anniversary of the Federal Reserve. It was established on December 22nd. 1913. In a hundred years, what has happened? How was it established? How does it affect us today? And how does it head toward a one-world government, one-world economic uh, system? We're going to. How many of you think that's some interesting stuff to look at tonight? So I hope that you'll be here tonight at 5:30. And uh, but this morning, I want us to do this. We're going to start in First Corinthians chapter 13. I'm sorry, Second Corinthians chapter 13, and look at verse five. I think this is a good thing for us to do as we look back at 2013. The Bible says, "Examine yourselves." Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates? But I trust that ye shall know that we are not reprobates. Now I pray to God that ye, should, that ye do no evil, not that we should appear approved, but that ye should do that which is honest, though we be as reprobates. For we can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. Look at verse 11. Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace shall be with you. And the teenager's favorite verse, greet one another with a holy kiss. All right, now... Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, help us now as we uh, look at this and as we look back over 2013 and, and we think about our lives as we examine ourselves. Lord, I pray this is a really productive time and it will help 2014 to be the, the, the most useful year that each of us has ever had for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Keep your place in Second Corinthians, but go to Psalm 90. Psalm 90 in verse 12. Now imagine this, Moses, the Lord used Moses to write this all those years ago, and I think it would still be good for us to do. Look what the Bible says. So teach us, this is Psalm 90 verse 12, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. 
How many of you think that would be a good idea to do? What is life? It's but a vapor that appeareth for a little time and vanisheth away. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Remember what Jesus Christ said? He, he talks about this he, in a parable. He talks about the rich man who said, I'm going to build barns and I'm going to have much increase and I'm going to do all of this. And Jesus said, Thou fool, knowest not that tonight thy soul shall be required of thee. We don't know what's going to come. Now, isn't this a happy message so far? <laughs> Cheer up, you're going to die tomorrow. No, that's not it. We need to live like that could happen. We need to live like that could happen. Jesus Christ, how many believe Jesus Christ could come back today? We need to live like that could happen. But in order to understand where we are, we need to examine ourselves. Examine ourselves. We have college students that are home from college, and they've just finished exams for their semester. And what's the purpose of the exam? To make your life miserable. That's, that's the, the, the primary purpose of an exam. Um, no, it's to find out how you have done. It's to find out whether or not you know that material whether or not you can handle that material. Now, if you're like me, you crammed the night before, so you got it for the test, and then it's gone for the rest of your life. But the purpose of the exam is to, it's, it's an, it's to see and to take inventory of where you are. So now we as believers, the Bible tells us, and, and just so that we understand that this is for believers, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Let's see who the Holy Spirit is addressing through Paul. All right, so look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2. Unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. So this is written to the believers, the church of God, which is at Corinth, and to all the believers everywhere. And then here, this will be instructive to you. This is fun. How many of you ever hear, hear the term saint? Right? Not about you probably. But you hear, we had some, one of our church folks said that someone told them uh, they got a, the, the boys got a dog for Christmas and to watch out because there's a particular saint that brings presents to animals. So to watch out for those presents. And I, I like this passage because this passage gives us the definition of a saint. All those who call on the name of the Lord. You get saved, you're a saint. I'm St. James. Isn't it good that we're, if you're saved, if you're not a reprobate, we're going to look at that in a little while. If you're not a reprobate, you're a saint. That's awesome. So who is being addressed? Who, the Bible is telling people to examine themselves. It's believers. As believers, we are to examine ourselves. So go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. So now Paul has addressed carnality in 1 Corinthians and uh, all of the issues of the abuse of spiritual gifts and worldliness in the church. Second Corinthians, he's been dealing with false doctrine and false letters about him. We'll look at some of that in a minute. And now he's finishing it up. He's finishing it up with a challenge. Now, can I ask you a question? Do you think there's ever been a time in the history of Christianity when Christians are more carnal than they are today? I mean, true believers... Now, there have been times when the church was carnal all through the Dark Ages. I mean, it was unbelievably wicked. The, in, in the area of France where the Albigenses were, uh, the common saying was if someone told someone to do something that was repugnant to them, their answer would be, I'd rather be a priest. That's how wicked 
Christianity had become at that time. That was around 1200. But as far as true Christians, those who name the name of Christ, those who would attend evangelical churches, has there ever been a time when there's more worldliness? I don't think that there ever has. And that's what First and Second Corinthians is about. Carnal Christians. And so the, the question that is before us today, or the, the command that the Holy Spirit gives us, is to examine ourselves. To examine ourselves. And I think that that would just be a good idea. For I want you to think today, over the last year, I want you to think back over your life, and I want you to examine yourself. And the Bible gives us the, the parameters of the examination. It's not about, did I put on weight? You know, it's not about, do I have more wrinkles now? Right? And you don't have wrinkles. You just have too much skin for your face. See, that's... It's encouraging. It's helpful. Um, here's, the key. here's the key. The Bible gives us some parameters. You liked that, didn't you, Jacob? Yeah. The, the, the Bible gives us some parameters for the examination. And look what it is. 2 Corinthians 5, and look at verse 5. Exam, I'm sorry, 13, 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Now, there are two components to this. Now, number one, we understand that this letter is addressed to believers, but he says unless you be reprobates. What is a reprobate? How many of you like that word reprobate? It's kind of a fun word. What is a reprobate? The Bible in Romans chapter 1 gives us the understanding of what a reprobate... Hey, let's go ahead and look at it. I wasn't going to. Look at Romans chapter 1. Look at verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed. Where? In the gospel. Therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. So if you want to have eternal life, if you want to have everlasting life, you get that by faith. You believe what God has said. You, you just believe what God says about you, and your sinful condition, and what God says about Himself. He's righteous, He's holy, and He will judge the wicked, and the only hope for you is to have faith in Christ's finished work on the cross. Then you can live. The just shall live by faith. Aren't you glad you don't have to be a good person? I, I'm really glad. Now, look at what it says in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest. It's plain. It's made plain in them. For God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that, when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. You know, I, I, I can't help but think about 
Now, I have never seen an episode of Duck Dynasty. Okay, uh, I've never seen it. Has anyone here ever watched Duck Dynasty? Have you, have you seen it? Holy cow, look at this. <laughs> I've never actually watched it. Um, but I know that they, that they are Christians and they, they talk about the Lord and they, they pray. And we know that, was it Phil? Was that the, the man's name who spoke out in an interview about homosexuality? And everything he said was true. Now, I don't know that the language is helpful, but it's so interesting the way that people responded. And the thing that we have to remember is, like those people at A&E that were so shocked by it, the people in the, in the media that are so shocked by it, remember, they don't know anyone like us. Many of them have never met a Christian in their lives. They don't know any. And the only people that they know are people that are, we're, we're going to see them described. So they, they profess themselves to be wise, but scripturally they're fools. Y'all recognize that? And it's very clear. So now, let's, let's go on. might talk about that some more tonight. Um, so professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Look at verse 23. And changed the glory of an uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Now, technically, this is animism, people worshiping animals, worshiping God through animals and idol worship and those kinds of things. That's what's being described. And, of course, that's, you know, if, if you hear about Wicca or any of those kinds of things, that's exactly what that is. And then, of course, now the, the environmental movement, the radical environmental movement, those are people, they're worshiping their mother, Earth. Right? Now, the earth is not your mother. The Bible says that we're to have dominion over the earth and subdue it. The idea that we belong to the earth, that's just the opposite. The earth belongs to us. Right? Now, we're supposed to be good stewards of that. If you cut down trees, plant trees. Right? How many of you think that that makes sense? The book of Leviticus talks about crop rotation and having the land rest and being a good steward of the earth. Don't pollute the streams. How many of you like dirty water? Right? We're not for that. That's not what the environmental movement is. The environmental movement is it's Marxist, it's anti-capitalist, it's anti-private property. Well, private property goes back to natural law. God created man. God gave man things, earth. They're to have response. When you have ownership, you take better care of it. That's why God gave the land and divided it up among the 12 tribes and told them that after every so many years, if you have sold any of that land, it's got to come back to you. If you've leased it, if you've lost it through debt, it comes back to you. What is that? That's ownership. Ownership. Private property that goes back to God. That means that if I want to plant something on my property, I ought to be able to do it. And the government doesn't have any say in that because that is private property. Is that right? 
But these people don't believe that. So you need to understand where the foundation of this thinking comes from. It is a violation of the Word of God. It's a, this is not a political speech. I'm happy to give one if you want later. We can convene outside. This is not a political speech. This is talking about the truth as revealed in Scripture when people worship the earth and the things in the earth rather than God. It upsets the system that God has established. And God's way is better. God's way is much better. So now, look at what it says in verse 26. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did, women did change the natural use of that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves the recomp that recompense of their error, which was meet or acceptable. All right, so now I want you to think about this. What the Bible says here is that when men behave that way, and that's what Phil Robertson was talking about, when men behave that way, then there, there are things that happen in their bodies. There's a, there's a result of it. And any doctor can tell you that it's not good. It's not good. And you understand that just reading that verse out loud is considered hate speech. Well, no, we don't hate these men. We love them. We want them to be saved. We want God's best for them. Amen? And we want these young people to be able to, to discern that biblically. All right? But look at the way that God says it. Um, verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain knowledge or retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. All right, so here's this, this word reprobate. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, and go ahead and go back there. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 13 says, let's look at the verse again, verse 5. Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith, Prove your, your own selves. Know ye not your own selves how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be, what does it say? Reprobates. So what I want you to get is this. When you're saved, you're regenerate. Regeneration, new birth, born again. How many of you are glad you're born again? James Knox, his church down in Deland, Florida, they, they do what they call public ministry. They give the gospel out publicly. And they'll hold up signs, you know, Jesus saves, or you need to repent, you need to be saved, those kinds of things. And um, so a group came down, a group of students there in DeLand, came down to do a counter demonstration, and it said, I was born, one of the signs says, I was born fine the first time. The Bible says you're born in sin. The Bible says ye must be born again. Born again is regenerate. The opposite of regenerate is reprobate. Reprobate means that you're an enemy of God, that your thinking is evil, that you have sin in every cell of your body, that your DNA is wicked. That's why we need to be saved. The Bible says it this way. In me that is in my flesh, there dwelleth no good thing. That's what the Bible says. And we've got to believe that. That's where the self-examination is so important. The first thing is make sure that you're saved. Now, 
I want every person here between the ages of 18 and let's say 10. If you're between 10 and 18, I want you to stand up. Okay, let me come up here because you're all too tall. I think this is a sign of the fall of man that children are growing so big. Now look, this is so important for you. I want you to examine yourself. I want you to examine yourself. I knew one of you smart Alex was going to start going like this. I knew it. That's what I would do. Okay? I want you to examine yourself. Are you in the faith? Are you saved? Have you made this decision for yourself? Because as I look at you, I think I know all of your families, and you have had the influence of believers in your lives. You attend this church, you have godly teachers. You hear the Word of God. Here's the question, though. Are you reprobate or are you born again? You know, your parents can't do that for you. This is a decision that you have to make for yourself. Are you saved? Thank you. You can be seated. It's so important. Say, Pastor, why did you do that? Because I like to embarrass teenage girls. It's awesome. No, why did you do that? Because here's what happens in a church service. You know, whether it's in school, there's a picture in my yearbook of me, my senior year of high school. And I don't know why they put it in the yearbook, but I'm sitting with my feet out and I'm, I'm slouched like this in a class. And I'm, I, my eyes aren't closed, but you know I am nowhere near whatever the teacher is saying. Right? And so all of us have assumed that posture, whether physically or intellectually, at some time or another. I, I don't want that to happen this morning. I want you young people to know that this is not just a general sermon for all of Christianity. Although it's probably one of the greatest sermons in the history of Christianity. I understand that. It's really important that you guys understand that you need to be saved. 2013 could be the greatest year of your life if you're not saved. It'd be awesome for you to get saved today. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today. It could happen today. So examine yourselves that you are in the faith. So the first component of being in the faith is that you're not reprobate. You're saved. You're born again. But look at Jude 3. Jude 3. Right before the book of Revelation, the tiny little book of Jude. Look at verse 3. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation... All right, so what does that mean, the common salvation? There's only one way to get saved. If you're saved, that's common to everybody. Salvation by grace through faith alone. That's it. So he wrote of the common salvation, It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Earnestly contend for the faith. So when you examine whether you are in the faith, when you examine yourself whether you are in the faith, the first component is, are you reprobate or are you born again? 
That's the first step. The second step, as you look back over 2013, is your life demonstrated. Does your life demonstrate that you are in the faith? Go back to 2 Corinthians 13.5 and look at what it says. Prove your own self. Examine yourself and prove yourself that you're in the faith. All right? So, first of all, make sure that you're saved. Secondly, make sure that you live like you're saved. So, examine yourself. As you look back over the last year, did I live like a Christian? If people observed me and didn't speak to me, if they simply observed me, did I live like a Christian? Did I live like I'm in the faith? The second part of it, that's, that's the first part. The second part is this. Do I live according to what I believe? All right? This, this earnestly contending for the faith, that's not the common salvation. The faith is the body of truth that saved people believe. All right? And so what is this? This is fundamental, foundational doctrine. The faith. The faith. So it, when you order your life, okay, so when you make a decision, um, we talk about ball teams, all right? So when you make a decision to play on a ball team, is that going to um, fit in to what you say you believe? All right, girls, you're going to play on a volleyball team. And what they ask you to wear, does that fit in? with the body of doctrine that you claim to believe. Interesting. Isn't that good? Uh, you men, you go on a business trip, and the guys invite you to go with them to a club or something after the meeting. Does that activity fit with the body of doctrine that you claim to believe? Do you see how all of a sudden... When you examine yourself and prove yourself, that things really change. Things really change. So here's the question. Put another way, we could say this. Examine yourself. Look over 2013 and ask yourself this question. Did I live like a Christian? Did I live like a Christian? Now, don't raise your hand on this. How many of you uh, behaved in a way or did something in the last year that did not align with what you believe. I can tell you this, I did. I did. How I many of you ever embarrass yourself? You ever get mad at a store or whatever? Now, some of you don't have those issues. It's interesting. It's interesting. How have you interacted in the community as a believer? Examine yourself. Examine yourself. So what's the key? What's the key? In examining ourselves and in looking toward the new year, living a life that aligns with what we claim to believe, what is the key component to that? Look at 2 Corinthians 13 and look at verse 5. Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove, I love this, your own selves. There, there's an emphasis there, isn't it? I love it. I always think it's so funny. Have you ever done this? Boy, I wish so-and-so was here to hear this. No, no, no. This is for your own self. This is for prove your own self. So what's the key to doing this? 
Look at what it says. Again, verse 5, look at the middle. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates? So it's the key. Jesus is in you. Jesus Christ is in you. You know, that's a key in First and Second Corinthians. Go to First Corinthians three sixteen. Well, he's in you, except you be reprobates. If you're saved, he's in you. If you're not saved, he's not in you. How many of you understand that? Right? If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. That's what the Bible says. So you're in Christ, and Christ is in you. First Corinthians three. Look at verse sixteen. Know ye not that you're the temple of God? And that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? That's the believer. If you're saved, the Spirit of God dwells in you. How are you going to live a life that matches what you believe? You can't do it in the flesh. You've got to do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's such a cool thing. Look at um, 1 Corinthians six nineteen. Again, this is an emphasis in First and Second Corinthians. 1 Corinthians six nineteen. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Prove yourself. Examine yourself. Does my, am I representing what is in me? Well, the only way you can represent what's in you is through what's in you, the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit of God. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. How are we going to know what to do? 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 1. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 1. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. In whom the God of this world, that's Satan, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but... Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts, look at this, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to think about this. How are we going to know what we're supposed to do? Well, the Holy Spirit of God is shining in our hearts so that... He takes the Word of God that we study and then illuminates that Word in our spirit so that we behave properly. But there's a process that's involved in that. That process is reading, meditating, understanding the Word of God, and then the Holy Spirit taking that and doing something with it. But where do we have this light of the glory of God? Where is it? Look at verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. That's your body that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. It's in us. Look at 2, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 16. 
And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you. Now look, this is so cool. What happens? We're going to examine ourselves. Am I living in the faith? The first part, am I saved and not reprobate? The second part is, does my life match up with what I believe? What happens? God, His Holy Spirit comes in us. We spend time in His Word. We yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit. And what happens? We live holy lives that match what we profess to believe. As we look back over the last year, that ought to give us impetus to want to do better in the next year. Amen? That ought to give us the challenge, the desire to want to do better in the next year. Go back to 2 Corinthians. I'm sorry, chapter 13, 2 Corinthians 13. I like what he says in verse 6. But I trust that ye shall know that we are not reprobates. Now, why did the Apostle Paul have to put that in the Bible? I hope you know. I'm not a reprobate. Titus, who actually penned it, Paul wrote it. He spoke it to Titus. Titus wrote it down for him. And then uh, the other guy, what's his name? Um, Lucas. Lucas was there helping. Paul saying, we're not reprobates. We're saved. You know what I'm glad that I can stand up before you and say, I'm not an apostle or a son of an apostle. I can tell you this, though. I'm not a reprobate. I'm saved. Praise God. Praise God. I'm saved. Why did the apostle Paul have to say this? Look at 2 Corinthians 10. Look at verse 10. Someone's talking about Paul, and it says, For his letters, say they, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. So here's what they're saying about Paul. In Corinth, people are talking about Paul, and they're saying, Yeah, he can write. Sure, he can write, but man, he's a puny little guy, and he can't talk. You ever heard him talk? His speech is contemptible. It's contemptible. Do you know what's going to happen to you as a believer? you know what's going to happen to you as a believer? People are going to say to you, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, you say you believe something, but I know you. I know you. That's what people will do to you. You know what you should say back to them? You're right. I'm weak. I'm a sinner. I'm so glad God saved me. What I did there, that does not line up with what I believe. But I want it to. I want it to. The direction of my heart, my desire, is not to behave the way that I did there. What you're pointing out in me, you're absolutely right. But that's not who I want to be. Who I want to be is exactly what I profess. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to do better. Amen? That it's going to happen to you just like it happened to Paul. Look what they said about him. Look, what they said. Look at chapter 11 and verse 6. I love this. This is my life's verse. <laughs> but though I be rude in speech, yet not in knowledge, but we have been throughly made manifest among you in all things. Now look, Paul says, look, I know that, that I'm rude in speech. I know that I'm not able to communicate to you the great things of God. 
I know that, but they're still true. They're still true. Look at what he says in 2 Corinthians 13. I think this is funny. Verse 1, This is the third time I'm coming to you. In the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. I told you before and foretell you as if I were present the second time. And being absent now, I write to them which heretofore have sinned, and to all other, that if I come again, I will not spare. Since ye seek proof of Christ, Christ speaking in me, which to you word is not weak, but is mighty in you. For though he was crucified through weakness, yet he liveth by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. Now he says, examine yourselves. See that? Look at verse 7. Now I pray to God that ye should do no evil, not that we should appear approved, but that ye should do that which is honest, though we be as reprobate. So what he's saying here, so what? Let's say that my life didn't match up. You're still supposed to do right. If I ever do mess up, it's st- you are still supposed to do right. I like it what he says next. Verse 8, for we can do nothing against the truth. There's no way that I can hurt the truth. The truth is going to stand with me or without me. The truth does not rely on me. The truth is the truth. Then look at what he says. But for the truth. Boy, I can sure work for the truth, though. I can't hurt it, but I can work for it. Then look at what he says. For we are glad when we are weak and ye are strong. And this also we wish, even your perfection, maturity, fullness... Therefore, I write these things being absent. Look at what he says. Lest being present, I should use sharpness according to the power which the Lord hath given me to edification and not to destruction. So what's he saying? Look, when I come, you all don't get this thing straightened out. When I come, there's going to be some sharpness. You think I was rude before? Wait until I come back. That's what Paul's saying. Well, that doesn't fit modern carnal Christianity, does it? That's what Paul is saying. But what does he want for them? He doesn't want to use sharpness. He doesn't want to use that. What does he desire for them? It's the same desire that I have for you, that you have for the people that you're trying to influence, that you have for your children. Look at what he says. Finally, brethren, verse 11, farewell. Be perfect. All right? Now, that's a tough challenge, isn't it? What's this? Now, understand that when the word perfect is used in your Bible, it's mature. It's complete. What is he telling? Look, folks, you're saved. Grow up. That's what he's telling them. Then look at what what he says. Be of good comfort. Be of good comfort. Be happy in the Lord. Be happy in the Lord. So let me ask you all, is anybody saved here today? Be of good comfort. Rest in Him. I want to have you raise your hand on this. Do we have any worldly people here? All of us. Right? Be of good comfort. God loves you. He's in you he, if you're saved. He wants you to grow, to be like Him. Be of good comfort. Then look at what He says. Be of one mind. Now, if you were here for our Philippians study, you understand the oneness of mind is all... That, that's what Christianity is about. Oneness of mind. Let's have the mind of Christ. Let's have that one mind. Don't, don't have divisions. Don't be mad at people in the church. Make sure that you're, that you're moving in the same direction for the, for the sake of the gospel, striving together for the sake of the gospel, what the Bible says. 
So, of one mind, I like this, live in peace. Live in peace. Uh, You know what I wrote down in my Bible in my margin? I wrote this. Pick the right fights. Live in peace. Remember what... Look at Romans chapter 12. Verse 18. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. You know what I love about that command? It's not saying that you have to be at peace all the time. There's going to be a time to fight. If it be possible, if it be possible, live at peace. Only fight when you have to. And if you're going to fight over something, especially with a lost person, make sure it's the right battle. Imagine if if you defend your particular idea on something. I'll give you an example of this. We had a, a table set up at Oklahoma State when I had my ministry there, giving out gospel literature, inviting people to come to one of our meetings. And there was another table next to us that was set up, and it was a lady trying to get the students to sign up for credit cards. Right? And this lady, obviously, was... She liked ladies. Okay? The guy that was with me, Steve, that was helping me, next thing I know, he's in an argument with this lady over Rush Limbaugh. Now, as a believer, talking to a lost person, how many of you think that was the right battle? No, no. So this is the idea. We're supposed to pick the right fights. Live in peace. Live in peace. Live out the gospel. What's the key to that? Understanding you have the Holy Spirit of God in you and spiritual maturity. Those are the keys. Be perfect. Be perfect. And look at what it says. And the God of love and peace shall be with Man, when I look back over the last year, I'm thankful. I, I can genuinely see growth. You know, I, I've learned a lot in the last year. I've learned a lot. I've learned some of those lessons the hard way. Some of them I learned the way I was supposed to. But I look back and I see some areas where I could definitely improve. So let me just finish with this. Did you read the Bible as well as you should have last year? Did you spend as much time in the Word as you could have last year? Here's another question for you. How many people did you personally give the gospel to? Where you opened your mouth and you shared the gospel of Jesus Christ personally. Now, praise God. I'm thankful for anybody that hands out a gospel tract. We need to do more of that. I'm thankful for anybody who took a door hanger and put it on someone's door. We need to do more of that. But how many people did you personally give the gospel to this last year? How many of you think there's room for improvement? Did you spend enough time in God's Word? Did you share the gospel? And then thirdly, did you live a life this last year with your family and those without your family? Did you live a life that matches what you believe? This needs to be a time of repentance for us, folks. It needs to be a time where we say, Lord, 
in me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing. But I'm saved. Your Holy Spirit is in me. Through your Holy Spirit, make me better. Make me do better. Help me serve you better. Help me represent you better. Help me know your word better. That's the result of examining ourselves. Did you ever take an exam in school and you got done and you said, I should have studied better? Right? That's what this exam is supposed to do. Now, some of you might look back and say, Thank God I was perfect. I'm awesome. I doubt that any of us do that. I think there's room. I like what Paul said I've not attained, I've not arrived. Amen? I'm not there, but the Holy Spirit wants to make me better. Do you know what that's called? Sanctification. I like what the... Let me just finish with this. I'll be done with this. Go to 1 Corinthians 1. Can I give you some good news? Finish this on some good news. Look at 1 Corinthians 1. Look at verse 2. We read it a little while ago. Unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified. Do you know that before God, when God looks at you, if you're saved, you're perfect. Is that awesome? Man, that ought to be really encouraging. Even though you're a sinner, if you're saved, He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He sees you as the finished product, sanctified. Do you know what that does? That gives you liberty. That gives you joy. That gives you comfort to allow the Holy Spirit of God in you to continue sanctifying you practically. Positionally, you stand before God perfect. Practically, you live in a sinful body. You live in a sinful world. The Holy Spirit, the process of the Christian life, is after you're saved, that Holy Spirit of God moving you toward Christ-likeness until either you die and you become like Him or He returns and you're changed in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. That's what we have to look forward to. Praise God. Thank you, Lord, for Your Word. Lord, I hope that we will all examine ourselves.